Hey, this is Harpo the Healer. Welcome to podcast series two, all about cold-cased, unsolved mysteries that you're as likely to solve as anybody else. Our first series was a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. RJ is a friend of mine, willing to debate and explore these fascinating stories, and we start episode one with the strange and mysterious disappearance of the wonderful aviator Amelia Earhart on the 2nd of July, 1937, together with the great navigator Fred Noonan. We run through what's known about them on the plane, and we'll sort of go with them like a fly on the wall, if you like. And when we get through that, then we're going to debate several main theories, including one or two surprises of the extraterrestrial nature. I'm sure RJ agrees, although at times we find humour in our quest. I have nothing but admiration for these incredible people. I understand the value of courage, and to quote Miss Earhart herself, adventure is worthwhile in itself. It must be noted that in the 1930s, Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla independently were working on electromagnetism and looking at the possibilities of time travel. Number two, the Lockheed Electrotene, as of modificated um, Amelia Earhart's flight manual, clearly states, nought degrees knots has a full range of between 4,100 to 4,500 mile range. And number three, Miss Earhart and Mr. Noonan disappeared on the 2nd of July, 1937. On the 7th of July, 1937, Japan invaded China. These are long distance recordings using internet technology. Hey, RJ, how's it going today? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine, Harper. Yeah, it's good to hear you. So we're going to do this um, mysterious uh, disappearance of Amelia Earhart, the, yeah. uh, the famous aviator from way back when. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a very, very uh, incredible story, really. And it's just like, um, like all these things, like, you know, with the amateur astronomer who's likely to discover a new happening, you know, including planets. You know, you or I or the listener today might be uh, as, as likely to solve this uh, incredible story. So before we kick off, can you just give us a, just a little brief history on, on Amelia Earhart? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Yes, yeah, so she's an interesting character, Harpo. And in fact, you sort of put me onto her and sort of to see the, hear the story. I'd sort of vaguely heard about yeah. it, but she was um, a lady that was born in America back at the end of the nineteenth century, eighteen ninety-seven. So in Kansas, I don't know whether that's such an interesting place. It might be. And she disappeared. So this is part of the story. You'll go on to that bit. Disappeared in 1937, but she wasn't declared dead till 1939. Now, she was in the aviation industry as it was developing. This is the really interesting thing. Yeah. Is it's one of those things where aviation obviously just started with those Wright brothers, wasn't it? And they sort of worked out how to get... get well, Leonardo invented an aeroplane, didn't he, I think? But uh, the, uh, the Wright brothers are the famous ones that actually were able to sort of get it working a little bit better. And then from then, it was just progress after progress. But part of that progress was also about how far you could fly, almost, in a sort of almost gung-ho way. You know, you'd almost, it's almost like thinking about going up in those days, climbing Mount Everest in your flip-flops. Would you do that now? I don't think you would. But uh, there was challenges. There was challenges upon challenges, which was really amazing. And why should that be limited to just men? Because obviously we're living, this is a time frame, the early 1920s and 30s, where lots of things were being achieved. 
and uh, a lot of these things obviously were open to everybody, you know, men and women. So she was a pioneer in that sense uh, as a woman, being an air uh, a pilot, which is absolutely amazing. Anyway, she really came to fame with all these challenges she created for herself, maybe, and her husband, who was a publicist. And part of the thing was in doing these solo flights, she would then write about them. And that then obviously spread the word. And she became like so famous. She was almost like an iconic woman of America. And she was just just setting one challenge after another. And she did the uh, a transatlantic solo flight back in 1930, uh, uh, 1937. She went east, flying across America, flying across the Atlantic, then into the continents beyond, and she ends up over in Papua New Guinea, uh, which is where it was the last leg of the flight, which was going to go from Papua New Guinea across the Pacific. And unfortunately, things took, went a little bit wrong for her. But they, um, she's probably more, she's almost as as a famous for being a missing person, as well as being a famous American probably her uh, longevity in terms of people knowing about her is because she's this famous missing person from America and just an amazing life okay. really that's great. excellent well that's that's a real uh, excellent insight there RJ okay so um, as uh, RJ's just said there we find ourselves at Lay in Papua New Guinea now this could be of interest to our listener later and remember listener you could actually be the one to solve this rather than us. So it's important. And whatever I say today, and whatever I go through the theories, my theory of aliens is very, very strong. So at the end of this whole thing, it's worth listening to the whole, the whole, uh, the whole talk, really. So yes, this challenge of uh, circumnavigating the globe near the equator. Incidentally, she did try going the other way, uh, going east to west, um, but uh, something went wrong and they changed it and they had to repair a plane after a false landing. We'll probably talk about that later. But anyway, her and her fantastic navigator, Fred Noonan, who was uh, famous in his own right, and he's got a very colourful history. And they're at Papua New Guinea waiting on weather, waiting three days for weather. And they've already done 20,000 miles, 21 stops. And uh, Newton's hit, uh, excuse me, Fred Noonan's hit, Navigation right on the bottom, all the way through. And now they're at Papua New Guinea, this last leg, a couple of stops to make, and they're going to go fly 2,556 miles to a miniature tiny dot in the middle of the Pacific, a refueling stop called Howland Island. Madness, really. Two miles long, half a mile wide, 15, 20 foot of elevation, no elevation. And uh, they've actually built an airstrip on it, would you believe? And that's going to be their refueling stop. Now, this route's never, ever been done before. And we could probably red flag that, RJ, before we start. And, of course, you know, if you're a 
a sparrow, well, hang on a minute, would, you wouldn't have a, flat, a sparrow flying across uh, the Pacific, would you? No, I don't know, I don't know. There might be some rare birds. No, well, sorry, albatross. Albatross, albatross. yes. He, okay. he'd, be, he'd, he'd be struggle to find it. He'd struggle to find it, I yeah. think. Yeah. He'd have to fly low, under the cloud yeah. base, I think. Yeah. So, and that might be uh, something that we, we should look at later. But what they'd organised is the Coast Guard ship Atasca. And that was going to steam down and that was waiting at the side of Howland. It was going to help guide her in. And this, this trip was a, a combination of dead reckoning, uh, celestial navigation and direction rain finding. Range finding with radios uh, uh, flying to a, a beam of, you know, uh, a bearing, which was relatively new. Right. And on this trip, a fat, they're going 2,556 mile to Howland, but halfway at the thousand mile point, there's a ship who's been waiting there a week. There's another perhaps red flag there called the Ontario, a picket ship, and was hopefully going to communicate with uh, Miss Earhart and uh, help her give some uh, positioning and all the rest of it and guidance on the way. So they've got this 100 octane fuel, the one that they really need. Three days, they're working on the pitch propellers of the plane. They've had a, a few little problems with that. And she takes it for a test run. And she says, yeah, everything's fine with the plane. But the, uh, the loop antenna, she says, I'm not getting a minimum on the range with my radios. Probably I'm too close to the ground station. Now, maybe a red flag, we should maybe come back to that at a later point, RJ. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. 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 So as we will talk later... They were throwing stuff out to get uh, to get to get on this uh, plane. I mean, somebody said they even they might have even thrown out the um, to get the extra fuel on board. They might have even thrown out their life raft thing, yeah. you know, the, the rubber dinghy. And I yeah. always think, what do you think about that? You know, like when the, it's not inflated. I mean, if they're yeah. about to crash in the sea, what do they do? Just it really highlights how so sure of themselves they were, almost gung ho. You know, exactly. I, well, this is it. This is you've got a really good point there because I'm thinking, well, surely he's going to have to blow the thing up as they're going into the sea or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, they're not um, thinking about crap. They're not thinking about any of this, are they? Well, it doesn't seem so. They seem to be very, very confident, isn't it? And they so they're waiting on this weather to improve, and they're working on the pitch profile. So, but she says everything's ready. Uh, another red flag here. Noonan and her had a, a mass, a big, a big argument on the on the night before the uh, the trip. We'll never yeah. know what that was. Could it be yeah. some domesticity? She had a open relationship with things. Could it be the human condition, or could it be that one of them isn't happy with something? We'll never mm. know. But apparently, he went off and drank several double scotches because he had a nice taste for stuff. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. That's by the by, could be just incidental. We might look at that later. And um, so they're ready to take off. Everything, they think everything's fine. Okay. It's a 3,000 foot runway. And, and when they get to the end of it, they're so laden down, they've got 1,150 gallons of fuel. Their takeoff weight is 17,000 pounds on takeoff. And in the theories that we're going to come up with, we will come back to this uh, in the future. Yeah. Now, a lot of people say she struggled to get off the ground. Have you seen the, uh, you can see it on YouTube. Have you seen them take off? Did you see them take off on? Is that real seen, real footage? Real then? footage, yeah. Oh, okay. And a lot yeah. of people made a bad rap on this. They say it looked like it was difficult to take off. 
Mm. Ernie Studwick, mm. who, Studwick, who um, I've uh, looked up, who has an awful lot of knowledge on this because not only was he a bomber pilot, but he um, he had a, a plane two serial numbers away from Earhart's and got involved in this thing a long, long time ago to see what had happened. And he says it looked like a perfectly normal takeoff to him, mm. laden down with weight. There was mm. a puff of white smoke as it starts on its way. And some people say, was that a bit of an antenna coming off? Right. But, but uh, we'll come back to that. But um, I suppose the uh, footage was, would have been quite rough. To yeah, watch. it's quite right. You yeah, and they'd, really... they'd had bad weather before they were taking off. So that might, we'll, we'll come back to that as yeah. well. Yeah. So yeah. she gets Noonan's plot charts and they reckon with a 15 mile an hour wind, it's going to take them about 18 hours. That's what they've worked out. Yeah. They basically, well, they're laden down. She holds the plane down, good pilot ship. She gets it up. It drops towards the ocean because obviously it's heavy. And mm. uh, when I listened to Ernie, this bomb pilot, he says, oh, that's quite normal for a plane that's uh, laden down with things. Yeah. And off she goes. Now, mm. here's another big red flag, RJ, here. Yeah. Got, she's supposed to radio in at the quarter past of every hour. Yeah, yeah. But she doesn't do anything for four hours. We right. hear absolutely nothing. And back in Lay, as she's taken off, they've got some updated wind forecasts. Mm. And they desperately try to get these messages through to her. But she acknowledges none of them. So as far as she's concerned, it's 15-knot headwind that yeah, they might yeah. encounter. Mm. But so uh, back at late, they really, it's going to be 26 and a half, 27 knots on the way to being double. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. might be a red flag there. Yeah. At four hours and 18, we hear from her. And she says, 7,000 feet, 140 knots. Everything's okay. That's all she yeah. says. And what's really strange about all this, maybe another red flag. Yeah. She doesn't give us a position. She yeah. doesn't tell us where she is. And she doesn't tell us at what time she's saying it because she might right. have taken a position. We, we don't know. Then uh, basically at 519, she radios in again. She says, now I'm at 10,000 feet, but she gives us a position. 150.7 uh, east, 7.3 south. Cumulus clouds, everything OK. Now, again, the plane isn't, well, she's at 10,000, but that's not good for fuel efficiency. In fact, no. apparently it's terrible. Yeah. And um, it affects the kind of air temperature and the air density. In other words, for the lay people, as a plane gets higher, there's a service ceiling where eventually it just wouldn't have any lift and it no. basically fall out the sky. But to yeah. the fuel economy and everything else, it's not good to be at that height, really, um, why she's up there. And also... There's a te there's a 2,000 foot increase in altitude correspondence, so she should really be a lot lower. And mm. um, well, there's another red flag there, I guess. I yeah. guess. And in the tropics, the elevation should be about 2,000 feet below the pressure altitude, so she's mm. way off. She's burning a lot of fuel. If yeah. that's where she says that she is, unnecessarily. The position she's, indicated yeah. by her mm. tells us she's 220 miles from Ley. She's yeah. well over 450 miles from where the Electra's supposed to be. Now, some people yeah. think she might be flying on weather, flying round the weather, because of yeah. the 250 mile weather front. Some people think she's getting height. 
or is she where she's telling us she is? Because it just seems rather odd. Now, yeah. in those days, it was a sort of uh, a thing to, you know, remember the old Napoleonic naval stuff, RJ? You know, they taking a taking a position at noon. Right. Well, in those days, they'd, they'd, everybody would take a, a position yeah. at noon. So right. what some people have calculated is that that position, when we think she's 450 miles from where she's supposed to be, perhaps the position she's sending us was at noon. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because well, wouldn't, wouldn't Noonan, Fred Noonan, he was taking a, a positioning based on the sunrise, wasn't he? He when was, the sun was yeah, rising. Later, yeah, he, he would do that. He would do that the following morning. And then he would work out the parallels where he yeah, could we'll, work out. Exactly, yeah, yeah, it, exactly. So seven hours and 18 into the flight, she uh, transmits mm. on 6201 kilo, kilo cycles, right. position 433 south, 159.7 east. Height 8,000, over cumulus clouds again. Yeah, yeah. Now, the position with a 23-knot wind actually puts her, she says 23 knots. So how on earth they've calculated that or whether she got that is unknown. Yeah. But at the same, she's absolutely smack where she's supposed to be. Okay. So um, she, she's either gone, she, so which is incredible. So she's, so... At this point, Noonan's doing a fantastic job and they're back on track. So in two hours, so from that, when you sort of said, uh, I want to don't interrupt, now keep going, keep going. Okay, okay, I'll go. So, so it's an interesting position to uh, to the western, so to the west, and the site of um, Nukam Manu, uh, an island. Yeah. And Noonan's doing a fantastic job and he might, if the cloud splits, mm. he might be able to get a fix on that island. However, at this stage... We don't know. No. But the plane's uh, fuel consumption. They're burned an awful lot more fuel to get where they are, whatever, mm. because mm. of the winds and everything else. So mm. the thing is, RJ, now, I think they're in a serious situation. What do they do? Because they're burning an awful lot of fuel. You know, like if you're delayed on a plane for a bit. You know what it's like? Yeah. Delayed. Now, if she's got these, if she had these 26.5 an hour, mile an hour headwinds. Yeah, she's going to um, be... Lot of she needs to there, be flying something in the region of 161 miles an hour. She mm. needs to be about 11 miles faster. So I've worked out, we worked out that basically an extra 10% on everything that she does to get there. Yeah. So it's quite significant. But so, so that again is probably another point we can look at. But at this point at 718, never again does she sign off with everything okay. Mm. He never mm. ever says that again. Mm. And they must be considering going back. But the problem is, if they turn around and go back, the problem is they'd have to negotiate maybe the Beaujoliesville Mountains on the way at one side of Papua New Guinea. They cannot land at night. No. Because there's no night land, so they'd have to wait till the morning. Yeah. So based on that, and if an engine cuts out, they might not be able to fly at altitude. But you see, you're saying, just to briefly just come in there, yeah. you're saying there's seven hours, 18. Is that in the, the length of the journey? Because you're then saying they're only okay, half Okay, I'm, I'm taking that from, they left at zero, zero, uh, oh, let's see. call it Greenwich Mean Time. So I'm, okay. I'm adding the hours, one hour, two hour, three hour, four hour. Right, so they've yeah. done seven hours, but you, said, well, you were saying it's going to take 18 hour flight to get to Howland Island. Yeah, they're, they're going to re, they're going they're probably going to reassess this in a minute. 
Um, yeah, so only done seven turning hours. Turning back, the sunrise, the sunrise at Papua New Guinea yeah. would be at 2020 G, um, Greenwich time. Right. So that's an hour and a half after they're supposed to reach Howland. So if the weather's right. good and the, the wind's behind them. Mm. So basically, they can delay, they can probably delay making this decision mm-hmm. until the 10-hour point. So you mean 10 hours and 10 hours? Yes, yeah, so as I was saying, because they could then get back. So they could still get back. And if you've got tailwind behind them, yeah. they yeah, it's even better. Back. Yeah, so, we've got a moment yeah, where, that, where they can't turn back. Yeah, sense, yeah. So, so there's this picket ship, the guard ship, um, that's supposed to be sat right in the middle of the ocean, probably fed up to the back teeth. They've been there a week. Mm. Um, they're waiting for Earhart to pass. She'd had a series of ends. She decided they'd send a, a series of ends in like a Morse code across the frequency. Yeah. Uh, Ten past right. the hour, but they heard nothing. And at eight fifteen, eight hours, her transmission at eight hours. Uh, it's now night time, so she's switched to the 3105 kilohertz because yeah. it's the night time. Yeah. Uh, and she, uh, but nobody at uh, Howland Island or nobody hears anything yeah. from her at all. 1910, 19 hours, uh, sorry, 910. 19, yeah. Yeah. Um, she's passing the Ontario ship, but she must have been really hacked off because she heard none of these Morse code things coming down the frequency. Not none whatsoever, but it's well. I've actually checked from the logbook, and yeah. the Ontario ship's log never logged actually sending anything ah, on that okay. frequency. Right. So that's probably another red flag there. So now she's yeah. in the middle of the ocean at yeah. uh, five, uh, five uh, fifteen. But she could at this point turn back, couldn't she? And they'd have enough fuel. If she decided to turn back now, she could. And they'd have enough fuel to get back, wouldn't they, in theory? That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. I I think Yeah. So, and it's at this point that um, she's she's going on and she she sets a course. uh, She's sort of carrying on. She's sort of ignoring things. Then suddenly she she says, there's lights on the ocean. Right. She doesn't know what it is. It could could be anything. So they can't really take a fix on it because they don't. They don't really know what it is. And then at 10, 10 hours, they're past the picket ship. Yeah. A decision must be made. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's clearly they decide not to uh, not to return. Yeah. They decide to keep, keep going. going. But she mm. says at 10.30, I see lights on the ocean. Mm. She's no idea what it is. And then she, she assumes it's a ship. And then she says, a ship in sight ahead. Well, that ship was the SS Myrtlebank from New Zealand, bound for Nauru, an island. Uh, it's a 434-foot cargo vessel, and it was due to arrive on the island. And it mm. was 82 miles southward of Nauru Island. So the radio operator at Nauru yeah. heard Earhart's message, and right. so did the radio operator at Howland. Mm. But no communication nothing she hears nothing mm. nothing from anybody mm. Mm. now the myrtle bank was 1414 miles halfway Earhart had taken 10 and a half hours to get to that point so if she keeps going for the next eight and a half hours uh, her new arrival time would be 1900 so yeah. an extra an extra hour to get there uh, well, shortly after the Ontario, they'd passed that position. 
the Ontario had had enough. They'd been there for about a week and they were low on coal and they uh, set off to American Samoa and they'd had enough. And I think uh, that also puts into question the fact that back at Ley, they were under pressure to set off because there's a lot of things in place for them on this particular trip. So, right. So we're now up to, we mentioned this, this, so this extra 10% of fuel. Mm. We were saying that about 50 gallons an hour fuel burn. Yeah. So I work out that if, uh, if after 20 hours, she's burnt a thousand gallons of fuel, yeah. You add 10%, that's um, 1,100 gallons. That means she's got 50 gallons 50 left. 50 gallons, yeah, yeah, 50 gallons. Basically, what, an hour and a half worth of flying time? Or maybe two hours if she flies, you know. That's on, right. on, on, on those figures of those those forecast winds because that she hasn't got, by the way. That she, she well, this, you reckon that's at this particular point? We're, by the 20-hour point. We're just, we're, we're yeah, we're 19. talking... Yeah, we're, we're by, only... by the next hour, I think she that's where she'll be. So maybe, you, maybe if the clouds part, Noona manages to get a fix through the clouds. Maybe if the mm. clouds part. Mm. Uh, and the normal procedure for this, that she there is a, a Spirit autopilot on the plane. It's not a most advanced thing, but it holds part of the plane. But she'll come off that and mm. hold it as steady as she possibly can while he takes a fix. So that's what that's what she'll do. Yeah. Um, and then they're coming up to past the Gilbert Islands that'll be on the left. Now, hopefully, if he can see that and he knows what it is and he gets a fix, that will give him a really good indication of where they are. Yeah. On this sort of north northeasterly course. So for our listener, yeah. he's sort of going from like the eight on a, on a clock face from like the eight across to the three kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah. of course, there's the international date line to cross. Yeah. So that means they're going to land on the 2nd of July and they set off on the 2nd of July. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, on this on this compass bearing. Yeah. So now you mentioned, RJ, this business of uh, shooting the song. Yeah, so, that's right. That's what I thought. going to have to do this because yeah. what he needs to do, he needs to shoot a sun line and he'll know from his tables at what time at what time the sun's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah which I think was, um, I think was, uh, I can't remember at what point it was. It was about, well, he, 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 he'll, he'll know from his tables at what time that is. Yeah. And then what he'll do as he shoots the sun. So he might have actually got into the cockpit with her because the, I'm thinking the sun will be directly in front of him because he's flying, you know, sun rises in the east. east, or yeah, the east. Yeah. So as he shoots the sun off his chart, a perpendicular line across, yeah. Across, so basically running north to south. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically then this is what they call um, a line of position. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then the idea is then he gets to this line. Mm-hmm. And then if they, they, if they know how much time, if they work out how much time it's taken them to get there. Yeah. Based on, and based on the fixes, hopefully from his charts, then hopefully he'll turn one way or the other mm. and fly down to the island. Yeah. What, what they don't want to do is fly straight to the island because if they miss it, they don't know which side it's on. They've not a clue. But no. if they, but what he'll do when he's about um, eighty-two miles out, yeah, a known thing that it, he'll compensate and he'll either go ten or twenty miles left or ten or twenty miles right. 
So he'll change the compass heading so that when he intercepts that line, he can be absolutely sure that the island is on one side or the other. So yeah. as long as they fly up and down that line, they know oh, okay. they they'll know which side the island's on. That's the principle of it. So oh, see, uh, yeah. mm. so so okay. So so they carry on. He takes his sun line. They they now what's he doing now? Now he's um, we do get some more things from him at 1744. She's saying she wants a bearing. She says 200 miles an hour and she's whistling into the uh, apparatus. Yeah. yeah. Um, at 1815, please take a bearing on us and report in half hour. We'll make noise in Mike about 100 miles out. So that's what she's saying there. Yeah. Getting a bit, oh, it's getting a bit desperate. So they say if Fred Noonan's within 20 or 30 miles, he's done an excellent job, they reckon, because obviously with the other mm. navigational aids, they should be should be okay but mm. um but anyway so it's probably getting desperate now 1825 lunar will plot again and puts him puts them on this this line you know this north south line on this yeah. 157337 yeah. so if you imagine yeah. so we're well, basically a line that's about on a clock face from probably the 5 the 11 dropping down yeah. to the 5 maybe and that's but the line the Howland that, Island that's the line we're going to fly up and down on yeah 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 that's right and i assume that it probably went left 20 miles rather than right yeah we okay. don't know which way he decided to do it no. but he's flying he's overcompensating so that when he flies down that line mm. guarantee the, the the island should be on the right or it sh should be mm. that's kind of the idea but it but the line is drawn um, amazingly goes through Howland, but amazingly, yeah. 350 miles to the south, it dissects Gardner Island, which is called Nukururu, yeah, which, yeah. which basically some people think they were marooned on. Yeah, I've so, heard that one. So I'm just thinking if he'd compensated and gone right rather than left, and for me, it's whether they'd mixed up his. When he turns onto that line of position, mm. whether she goes left or right onto that line of position, yeah, would be the downfall here, because if they've gone the other way and then they fly up it for forty or fifty miles, turn round, fly back, mm. it, it, it's you know it's so difficult to know because he, he's he's not really how how does he know at that but when point? they're on that line. Just yeah. to be clear, when they're on that line, if they're flying up and down the line, do they not know whether they're going one way, like north or south? Yes, they will, because they'll fly yeah. on the the three three five going north, and then yeah. they'll turn around and fly on the one five seven yeah. going south. So if they if if these islands are either side of that line, they'll know which way to turn left or right. Would they not? If they know they're flying down, they'll yes, turn yes, as long as right. he's, if, yeah. if his navigation's right, but. We don't know. She, she. Mm. God forbid. I hope she didn't. She's a brilliant, brilliant pilot. After mm. 18, 20 hours of flying, mm. we're not sure. She might have gone left. He might. He might. He might have thought. Actually, we're on it. We'll go left. I don't. It's, yeah. It's, a human it's, error. I like a human it, error. Is that what you're saying? I yeah. guess so. I, I hope. I hope it wasn't. But you know, you, mm. you, you never. You never. You never quite know. The one thing is that when they're on the one five seven three three seven line. They did actually uh, descend to a thousand feet, so they're under the cloud base. We assume that they couldn't see above it, so that could uh, be another bearing on this as well, isn't it? That they 
you know, they're down at a thousand feet and they've probably got a range of about 20 to 30 miles, as you say, with that low wing. So right. uh, then at 1912, she's saying QHA, I don't think they went Keeler Hotel in those days, but she's KHAQQ calling a tasker. Yeah. We, we must be on you, but can't see you. And I know that she says she's running low on gas. Yeah. She says she's got about 30 minutes left. And she's flying up and down or basically circling. But what they're doing is they're flying up and down that line and then turning around and coming back. Yeah. And apparently the, the guys at Atasca, one of the radio ops, run, at one stage jumped onto the uh, up top on the ship to look out because he thought she was so loud at one point. He thought yeah. she must be here. The but then are strong, she yeah. fades off as if they're uh -huh. flying away. The Atasca was actually putting up smoke and it was at one side of the island to try and help see because of the lack of elevation. Kind of at 1928, she says, um, Kilo Hotel, uh, Quebec, Quebec, she says, Tasca, we're circling, we're circling. This is what she's saying now. Mm. And then she goes to a different band. She tries something else with the loop antenna. Yeah. And she tells them to go to uh, 75,000 cycles. Well, they'll do as she says at Tasca, but apparently that frequency doesn't work on her equipment. No, no. But they wouldn't know that at Tasca. They'd just do what she said. Mm -hmm. But up mm -hmm. until this point, this loop antenna business that we might come back to. Yeah. So basically hers only goes to 4,800 kilocycles. She'd sort of turn this loop antenna, and yeah. basically what they're looking for is um, a nut, what they call a null. So when they don't hear anything as they turn it and it swings to it, then they can fly down it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's um, really, yeah. But that's but that is basically um, basically it. She did hear a couple of little Morse things for a, a few seconds at one point, but yeah. then then she didn't hear anything else. How, how do they know that she actually heard that stuff? How do they? Did she, she just sort of because they can hear a transmission? It was on one of her transmissions oh, that, right, she, okay. that she said she heard something. Oh, right. But um, and then basically they're here no more and mm. that's kind of it yeah. so mm. that's the technical side when of it. was that when was that last so that 1928 you said was the last was that um, the actual last transmission no, was one at 20 i think but i've just lost my notes on that one yeah but so what you're saying they used that all their time but they anticipated using to do this trip as you thought it was being an 18 hour flight but with all these issues that we you were sort of talking 20 about plus, aren't we yeah so she was still around in the air in that 20 hours sort of yeah but then, we don't but this is if if the the, the figures that we've got are correct because now hmm. what we're going to go into rj is let's have a look at these uh, these theories um okay now the first theory is that she was marooned on gardner island yeah. Or Nicarora, which is a, an island 350 miles to the south. But actually, it's on that line of position that Noonan would have drawn on his chart. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people and a lot of expeditions have been there to that island. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people say, well, how could she be? Because that's mm. another 350 miles. So, so they wouldn't have been able to they wouldn't have actually been able to sort of travel that distance. Is that what you're saying? Well, not on the fuel that they reckon she had, unless when he, when he offset at 82 miles out, you know, when I said he either goes left or right. Yeah. Yeah. 
he went right. Yeah. And then he slides down to a line of position. Yeah. So he may well be now 150 miles right with Howland on his left. So yeah. that he's actually nearer that island. Yeah, yeah. We'll never yeah. know, but that that that's a, a possibility. Do you think I guess. that one is the sort of main theory, alternative theory, because it's probably got the highest possibility in terms of in terms of like the order of theories? Yeah, because they've done a lot of research. It's a really so. interesting one because they've spent, mm. they've spent an awful lot of money going there. That's what I, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and there's um there's a lot of hoax calls, and they thought that they'd heard a. Uh, communicate from the island. They found some bones on there that were taken yeah. back. Had a shoe? Did they find a and shoe? A shoe, but it was the wrong size. They did find a sextant, but it said. But the thing is, ships were always uh, breaking. So like, yeah, yeah, there's so, a ship. Yeah, there is. Yeah, and there was some photo, wasn't there? A photo, and they thought some legs yes. of, of the uh, airplane was in, yes. in the water. So, and they thought so, but then other people say, well, you know, a lot of planes have been there. It took them a few days, nearly a week, to get down there to have a look at the place. They flew some seaplanes over there, and they yeah. said they did several passes, low passes of the place, and said they couldn't find anything. You're right. That is one of the big theories that a lot of the experts are going down because they took a lot of these, some of these radio calls they heard from like a, a lady in America, somebody in another part of the world, and they di they'd sort of almost did like a map resection. They they drew mm. all these lines back mm. on these radio reports, and it seemed to pass over the area of oh. that island. Right, okay. So that's yeah. one of the main reasons they go around that theory. It's quite strong, then, isn't it? It's quite a strong theory, isn't it? It's quite a strong theory. And it's believable, isn't it? It's also believable. That, it is believable. It's just the fuel thing. that. Uh, now, the Saipan theory, the, the marshals. Now, this one is... A very, this is a very interesting theory. So that's basically, the opposite. That's basically opposite of the Gardner Islands. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. To the... quick, quick background to that one is that the, mm. uh, the the Marshall Islands were in the Spanish hands. They had a uh, a war with America in eighteen nineties, and they needed money. So then they sold off a lot of the Marshalls to the Germans. The Germans used it for economical use, right. and then okay. at the start of the First World War, the Japanese just went in and took it and they said they'd do it as they were in the League of Nations. They said they'd just look after it for a bit. But what they did with all those islands, they started to fortify them. And that's quite so this originally they were going to go around the world the other way. But for some strange reason, after the accident, they decided to go the other way. And people reckon it was to do with the uh, weather. But, mm. I, but no mm. one's ever understood that. Mm. And the mystery, that could be the mystery right there, staring us. But when mm. they were flying up towards Howland and coming towards the equator, mm. apparently they had to cross Tarawa Island and Truk Island, right. two of the most fortified Japanese imperial islands in, in the Pacific. Right. And they had to fly right through them. Yeah. And people say, why on earth would they do that? It was in 1937 the um, America was strapped. They were absolutely in a deep depression. Nobody had any money. Mm. Um, and so, but this, this flight went ahead and a lot of people are, are very concerned about why, why that was done. Right. Why would they choose that route? It, it because it was sort of politically sensitive. Is this what you're saying? 
Terribly, terribly. Yeah. Uh, Roosevelt didn't want to disturb the Japanese. He was absolutely yeah. petrified. Didn't know what was going on there. It was a, mm. uh, the, all these islands were a closed shop to everybody. Nobody could get near them. Mm. And there was a guy called Cap, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Marines. Mm. Uh, his name will come back to me now. But he was sent into Saipan as a trader on a trading ship as a spy to try and find oh. out. Yeah. In 1937, mm. and he was uh, disappeared and dealt with by the imperial Japan. Not the Japanese mm. people, of course, they're all lovely. Uh, we're just talking about the regime. <laughs> the sure, regime. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. regime at that time. Yeah. But Amelia Earhart may not have known about that, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? The impression I got from the stuff I've heard and read about is that she didn't seem to be going in that area in terms of when you sort of say political, I think she was just purely into flying. It was all about yes. aviation. It was about nothing yes. else. Just all it was about, really. Um, the well, challenge in itself, I would have thought. Well, apparently, uh, Amelia had uh, a lot of the latest direction-finding equipment on that plane. And yeah. it had a lot of top-secret equipment on board, on some theories. It had the best engines and Pratt and & Whitney. Now, they all said that... Um, they all said that uh, they had 500 engines, 600 engines. According mm. to what I've read, they had 1,200. There was a special engine built in 18C. 1,200 each? Wow. Yeah, That's each big, engine. Isn't it? it was built That's by big. Pratt & Whitney. Um, and for some strange reason, they kept it secret. Now, she wow. had a nickname for the plane, which the press took up later. And yeah. she called it the Flying Laboratory. Right. That's what she called it. Yeah. Now, I think there might be a hint there for everybody. Yeah. But then again, you could say, well, when they went to the moon, they were doing experiments. Yeah. So it's not unusual for somebody yeah. to do pioneering sort of work yeah. that they, yeah. you know what I mean? For yeah, they do. They, they put these things on. They ask people, because you're going there, like you might as well do this while you're there. And they may not actually have actually anything to do with it themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's a good. And I always point. think that you know, Noonan, in all the books, and it's mm. absolute loads of people say this. He gets the bad rap because she's she's the wonderful, and she is a fantastic person. She's mm. very publicised. She's extremely well known. Noonan is, but not not so much. So I know he'd had a um, he'd had a little bit of a drink problem, and and Pan Am had let him go, but he was a ship's captain. He'd had eighteen ocean crossings. He was yeah. fantastic. He was the top navigator at Pan Am, and he surveyed he surveyed the whole of the South Pacific for them. Mm. He, he was one of the finest navigators in the world, and I cannot believe that he he would be anything other than about the margin for error of ten mile out, which he said himself. I'll if I'll be I'll, within ten miles, I'll be I'll be anywhere. It's very difficult to believe that he he mm. he, he couldn't do the job. So. I, he, right. A lot of the books blame him, and I, 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 I don't think I don't think it's no. any one factor, you know. No, absolutely um, not. No. So and the other thing is that, of course, there's eyewitness accounts on Saipan. A Mrs. Akiyama, who ended up living in the states, she said she'd seen uh, two people there, the yeah. uh, two Asians. Yeah, but you know, it's like it's like people spot Elvis, don't they? Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do. Yeah, it's so the, embedded in their psyche, is isn't it? The, the uh, Chamorro people, the indigenous people of these islands in the Marshalls, they've been overrun by 
the Germans came in and had an economic development. Then the Japanese just came in and took it uh, in 1914. And then they fortified the place. Uh, the, many Americans, of course. So, you know, the Chamorro people, they're quite a close. They're a lovely, friendly nature people, but they've been run by over so many. And they were petrified that the Japanese were going to come back because they were, you know, very, very, very strict, uh, the imperial Japanese. Therefore, they didn't, they kept things very close to themselves unless they were pushed to talk about things. And of course, they would not know who Amelia Earhart was. They wouldn't have a clue. But a lot of the sightings were the fact they, they reported if they were ever pressed, uh, Caucasians, tall, they were tall because the tomorrow people are small, the Japanese are small. They were tall and they were surprised, you know, that, uh, as a woman pilot. Some of them were very, very surprised about that, wearing men's clothes. So um, it wasn't because they were thinking that uh, perhaps it was somebody famous. They, they just simply wouldn't have a clue. I suppose initially, yeah, like people say, the Japanese gave them jobs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but of course they were a very brutal regime you know, and things of that nature. But uh, there's a lot of lot of reports, oh, like the, the young girl that obviously oh. grew up, who, who saw, point, took people to the graves. And then on the Battle for Saipan, 1944, after it was taken, two Marines were on a, like a souvenir hut and looking up in the caves for these guys. And they, they came down on a huge gun emplacement and they, they got across it and had a look. Mm. And they saw a plane tied down and they described it as Amelia Earhart's plane. And they said oh. it had the orange that was painted on the wings. But uh-huh. nobody would have known the orange and the stripes. Now yeah. that comes, because going back to this guy, Ernie, Ernie Studvik, he had um, a guy come to shoot his plane, take some photographs. Yeah. He was interested in the Earhart case. And he turned out to be a detective. Mm. And he, he's the one that had, knew the Marine who told him, about seeing the plane on Saipan. Mm. But Saipan's really interesting because not only was it top secret for the Japanese, and they had mm. a huge navy there that eventually went down, as we all know, what happened at Pearl Harbor, mm. but um, it was top secret. And when the Americans uh, secured it in 44-45, suddenly they had it as a secret establishment until the late 1960s. Right. Couldn't get in. Nobody could get in. Yeah. Now... Uh, what on earth did mm. they know? What what on earth was so secret that mm. they... Um, and I know this because this detective and some people in the 60s were going to fly to Saipan and it took them until sometime in 1968 before they could actually let them mm. go and have mm. a look around. Mm. So so this theory of... Um, yeah, it's very... It's, it's got lots of angles to it that you kind of question. And there's doubt, isn't there, all the time. But I think... You know, I think if they if they knew that there was an airplane in trouble with the Japanese, and it didn't look like a military airplane, did it? The, this her plane, the Electro. No, it was, was one. Of the, it was the first all all metal aluminium. Plane yeah, with this yeah. orange tail. So it's quite. It wasn't like trying to be looking like a military. Do you think they would have not tried to help them? Maybe, and maybe they'd have gone. Well, we're saving some heroes here. That's, you a, know, that's so. a very good. That's a very very good point, and I think that's maybe how she would have interpreted it. Yeah. As, as we all know, so. the regime wasn't like that. Um, nah. Nah. And, and I know my, my own father, who fought the Japanese in, in World War II, fought that imperial. Um, he, I know their mindset at that time. Not Obviously not the Japanese people, just they, the regime, I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, if she lands there, apparently one witness says, "Oh yeah," she says, "Hi, I'm Amelia Earhart," and they say, "Yeah, yeah, we know who you are." Yeah. And a lot of the false messages and the what they call the Tokyo flower or whatever they do, oh, where yeah, they send messages. Right, yeah, the they reckon Tokyo a lot Rose, of these yeah. false messages were coming. And uh, one eyewitness said that uh, they landed on a, a, a much more southern uh, part of the Marshall Islands. Mm. And the Japanese knew up at Saipan and they came to get them and then right. took them to Saipan. And then um, they were executed after so they were both suffering from dysentery and one thing or another. So there's quite a lot of reports for that. That that um, it, I guess at the end of the day, though, it's one of those things where there there is certain evidence there. There's, there's some graves and there's some there's, there's some other things that mm. people have pointed to, but it's not conclusive. No, so it's not none, like... none of, nothing's conclusive. So as you say, it's it's quite. Because the thing is also, I mean, I don't know how much their admin was, you know, even back then, but whether they would have recorded this sort of stuff, because it's now about 84 years ago, isn't it, this happened. You know, like, we do all this, they release files after a certain time, don't wow, they? Ah, well, you've hit the nail on the head there, because one of the things that is very suspicious is the fact that with the Freedom of Information Act, yeah. Um, I know up until two, it might have changed now, but up until 2017, when the anniversary came, everything on Amelia Earhart is still classified at the Pentagon. It's not been released. Oh, it's still so, classified. Right, so okay. therefore, that gets the layperson like you or I, the listener, to just yeah. go, well, why? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. If she crashed in the sea, well, we're talking, what did you just say? 83, 84, 84 years? 84 years ago, yeah. Yeah, years so... Ago, so what are they hiding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not yeah, no. you know, lot, lot of water under the bridge. Yeah, you know, so that's that's the reason. I know this from from listening to other uh, people who've done the research, who've gone to Freedom of Information to try and mm. find. And so, you know, so there is some idea for the Saipan theory. Some people said she had a secret camera on board, and of course, when they originally flew the other way round. Mm. to start with before they had the accident and she had to ship the plane back there were four people on the on board that plane and yeah. only supposed to be two supposed to be her and noonan yeah actually there was um a guy uh a guy called mans her flight instructor who um, apparently was in the film the flight of the phoenix remember that with oh Jesus? yeah with that uh, Attenborough was it with Attenborough as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, apparently he actually yeah. flew that that uh, makeshift uh, aircraft. Right. Unfortunately, he was killed after filming it in a sandstorm. But uh, after they'd finished filming, yeah. that, his name I think it's Paul Man Mance, but yeah, he was I a know, flight instructor yeah. because she hadn't had much uh, time in twin engine planes, a lot in solo. Mm, he mm. was on board, and there was a, a naval captain who was a the top navigational guy in the world. Mm. Now. Arguably, say, what were they doing on a plane that was supposed to be circumnavigated? They were going the other way around, and they yeah. hit two stops before they had the accident. Yeah. Mans quit. She blamed Mance. Mance blamed her. That He quit and went off. Mm. They recalled the naval guy back, and then that was the end of that. Mm. And then the other thing is, of course, is the money. Who pays for it? Yeah, I thought some of the money came from this college that she was working with. Uh, that she was an instructor apparently, at. Yeah, well, apparently, yeah well, apparently there were three anonymous donors from the mm. War Department. 
uh, sent to three anonymous donors from the War Department, 80,000 apiece. Yeah. They yeah. immediately then donated to the Purdue, yeah. Purdue Aeronautical Association. Yeah. Which, and yeah. Purdue University is linked to George Putnam. If you read that's the, that's the wife, that's the husband, isn't it? The, the publicist. Yeah, he, yeah. You read his all about Purdue University and George Putnam, so you right. can see this link around getting the money. And, yeah. and the, the, what people argue is the fact they're in this incredible depression. So yeah. if Roosevelt's throwing the money to resort the plane, bigger engines, extra fuel tanks, according mm. to this mm. guy Ernie Studvik. They had probably more than 1,150 gallons in the plane. Right. Yeah. He thinks, so just he thinks more like 2,000 to 2,300. Now, he's oh, a guy that flew, flew with um, 450 engines on either side. Yeah. And he, he's saying that when they take off, yeah. he says his maximum takeoff weight with his 450 engines is 8,400 pounds. Yeah. He took off with 17,000 pounds. So mm -hmm. if she had engines that were slightly bigger, 550s or 6, she'd have never got off the ground. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. With £17,000, she has to have. And he, he's saying, why the secrecy? What, mm -hmm. what, what, what's the secret? They're just mm -hmm. bigger engines. There's nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that theory. So, but the, the, the thing is, though, the... The amount of fuel they had enabled them to do that flight segment, didn't it? So it was going to go from Papua New Guinea to Howland Island. As you say, they'd worked that out with 18 hours flight. And it seems to be that that 18 hours to 20 hours is where they then disappeared. Yeah. So it looks like if they did run it's out madness, of fuel, that's all they had. They it's couldn't madness have had to think if that's all you've got left, there's yeah. no contingency plan, is there? There's no, I know she said her contingency plan before they left. She said, well, yeah. if it goes pear-shaped, she said she was going to go to the Marshall Islands. Well, that's ridiculous. That's mm. 800 That's eight hundred miles uh, north of their east. position. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. So yeah, yeah. They have the, Northwest, they, unless they've got loads more fuel, all yeah. that's nonsense because how, how could they do it? It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, you say they've got to make those decisions a lot earlier, haven't they? They've exactly, got to make those decisions exactly a lot right, earlier. Yeah. Mm. Think? So there is another possibility. The next one yeah. is that um, she uh, changed her identity yeah. and somehow got back to America. Noonan just disappeared. He just disappeared. I don't know how to. But she then lives her, out her life as somebody completely differently yeah. called Irene Bolam, is it? Yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. Now, she yeah. was a New York banker. She had a, a private pilot's license, and some guy met her at a drink to do or a, a, an aeronautical club or something. Mm. She says, hello, I'm Irene Bowler. I'm a pilot. And, and he looked at her and went, it's Amelia Earhart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and this poor woman was hounded all yeah. her life. Mm. And she successfully sued, I think, an out-of-court settlement, one and a half million dollars they yeah. got out of in the end, because yeah. she's saying, I'm not her. But this guy kept it up so much that when the woman died, he asked if he could dig the body up and fingerprint it. <laughs> we could have done DNA in the back. Would they have not been able to do it? It's too early for no, DNA, no, isn't no, it? No, no, not then. No, no, no. but... But, you know, now, if, I'm not saying you would do that now, but you'd assume 
you know, to check that isn't the woman. But then you'd have to have some DNA from... Can you imagine um, being hounded all your life saying you're somebody else? It's like people like so does it's like I say, you know, people sort of think they see Elvis, don't they? And they're so <laughs> sure of themselves that you could, you probably would be if you looked vaguely like that person, you you probably your life would be misery, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he this guy kept it up and people absolutely believed it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, maybe that was basically they took off from Papua New Guinea, turned left, turned left again, came in, hid the plane, and then yeah. just, just... So the last theory, which is probably the most plausible, in, yeah. in, in my opinion, is the fact that um, the aliens... You're right, yeah. Now, when I say aliens, what, I, I don't, what I'm thinking is this. Yeah. Time portals. Right, okay. Okay. You remember the History Channel did one on Amelia Earhart and they showed a picture of what they thought was her and Noonan at a quayside in Saipan. And, um, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, I know that it's picture, them. yeah. It's, oh, it's definitely them and everything. And then several weeks later, a bloke, some guy finds a publication of the same picture and it yeah. was from 1935. Yeah. So, but I'm thinking here... What about time portals? Right, so you think they've gone into some sort of been like, able to, yeah. Because when you look it up in, in January of 1935, she was in the South Pacific. Yeah. She happened to be yeah. in the South Pacific. She was, doing a, she was doing the first flight, then she was going to go from Hawaii and fly over to Oakland. But that California. picture was 1935, so you reckon they went back in time two years? Well, or did they come forward? I don't you see, the point is, Saipan yeah. was a very secret place, wasn't it, for the Japanese? Yeah. And a very, very secret place for the Americans. Just like right. Langley and all the air bases in yeah. the Area 51 or one. Well, yeah, yeah, Roswell. So I'm just thinking, yeah. well, has anybody ever come up with this theory? That, yeah. That, you know, is there a, is, is something going on here? And does this, um, you know, this Irene Boland, the, the change of, of could, could all this be, could there be another link? that nobody's ever come across she before. might have been brainwashed do you think maybe then Amelia Earhart who time travelled then got brainwashed into thinking she was Irene Bolam I'd never Is thought that... about that but that's a really good one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so she, yeah, she doesn't know we're at the times of uh, Nikola Tesla you see we're at the times of these yeah. guys they, and... brainwash, they wipe your memory do you think they would do that yeah. she probably didn't even know who she was Maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm just so no matter how much she says, look, I'm this lady, and they're going, yeah, we know you're saying that, but that's just because you've, you've had your memory wiped. We know yeah. who you are. Exactly. Well, these are, yeah, exactly. Poor yeah. woman would have gone to her death thinking, I'm not, she, but she'd actually believe that she was. You could Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you, do, you, do you believe that, Noonan got a lost, or do you believe that he doesn't know what frequencies are? There is one just backtracking slightly. Yeah. Her uh, 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 radio loop antenna. Yeah. Those loop antennas, you know, you get them on like your, they're very good receiving equipment, those loop antennas. The small yeah. ones, the small ones are very good at receiving. Uh, right. But they, they get very, the, the wires inside the loops, you have them on like little radios at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, it, they, they inside it can, in those days they get very hot, so they burn off a lot of energy and heat, so <clears throat> they drain batteries very quickly, and, right. they're, and they're not 
very efficient at transmitting mm -hmm. uh, like the big ones are. Right, that's, okay. So that's, you know, that's a point that... And also you, the other one you mentioned was like in terms of like um, backup, if something goes wrong, you know, well, they were supposed saying? to have this wire. You were talking about a wire antenna ah, yes, that they, you would they often, throw out. You know when we said that throwing out? At, yeah. Back at Lay, they yeah. said they're trying to get as light as possible. Well, yeah. they threw the Morse uh, code equipment out. I thought you put on set. I thought the Itasca was Morse coding. No, he's, you know, he's just sending sending the Morse code through the uh, oh, the radio waves. Yeah. Oh, I see. So they could still pick that up, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I thought they didn't have a yeah. Morse code machine themselves. And no. apparently, the best way, the the most efficient way to get a bearing in those days was to send something to a Tasker where they've yeah. got the bigger equipment. Then yeah. they take the bearing, and then they radio to her and tell her what it is. Yeah, and so what she goes to because because they've got bigger equipment. That would be the most sensible thing to do. But they weren't. I got the impression that that radio direction finding equipment that the Atasca had was the battery had gone down. It left one of them on the island, and they'd let the batteries go flat. But and not the thing on, is, not the radio would, you not, equipment. would you not also in those days? That again, it shows like the sort of gung ho ness. Like, do you not have a yeah. spare battery? Where's your spare battery? You know, at least like one battery might go, but two batteries won't just suddenly go. Well, they've yeah. always got a backup. So back I, then, they never really thought about that, did they? Yeah. Do you, do you think that she's being, um, do you think that she's deliberately being, that first four hours where we don't hear anything from her on the plane? Yeah. Do you think that's deliberate? See, that is weird. That is weird. Why, why do that? Just, I don't know. For Stay four quiet. hours. Yeah, because the arrangement was this frequency... Quarter past the hour, mm. every hour. But she doesn't do it for four hours. Mm. And the other one was like, you know, you sort of said when she had that, when they had that sort of ground loop accident and they rebuilt stuff yeah. and they changed. See, I wonder whether there's a little bit of her not being really familiar with the radio equipment that she had in the That's in the a cabin. very good point. Yes, mm. that is a very good point. And the other thing, when they said, oh, they think a bit of antenna with a puff of, if you watch that video, Puff of white yeah. smoke when she's going down. Now, Ernie Studvik says that's a perfectly normal takeoff. Well, I don't believe that that nothing to do with the antenna because the business about the loop antenna, mm. she'd already mentioned about not getting a minimum yeah. when she took it for a test run the door. But was that not a fuse? Was that not a fuse and then they'd replaced that fuse? I've no idea. I don't know. I, I think I've read that. somewhere that they replaced the fuse. So I think right. they fixed that problem. Right. So, but yeah, I think wonder whether she really, I mean, back in those days, I guess the equipment was really basic. It was like a knob with like six markings on it. Only, so like, yeah. Wouldn't it have been only, that hard to what handle? Yeah, operate? the only thing I think of is that, um, yeah. you know, like if, like, you know, like military fellas when they're going out of on a patrol or something, mm. you know, like, and they're in a war or I don't know, you watch these films. Mm. And they go out on radio silence. They don't. They don't test the radios before oh, they go yeah. out because yeah. somebody else is listening in to see what they're doing. So yeah. she keeps quiet for four hours. If the Japanese oh. are listening, they're not at war. But of course, no. if she's on some other sort of clandestine sort of thing. Yeah, well, you know, maybe for right. four hours. Yeah. So she's so somewhere far away that they're not aware of what time this person set off. Yeah. It's very it just, uh, suspicious, isn't it? It's very kind of weird. It, it's odd. It's odd. Yeah. Yes. 
I don't know the, the Saipan thing. I think that the, 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 there's something that might be unrelated. She might. I mean, the mm. most popular theory is she just fell into the sea. Yeah. They ran out of fuel, and somewhere north of Howland, they just yeah poor devils perished. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah. It, they did have a guy down at um, uh, one of the great ocean floor experts in the world. I can't remember his name now. And he went to Garden Island last year or year before right. and he combed the whole of it. And he mm. said, if that plane's here, I'll find it. Mm. And he didn't find anything. So no, no evidence of the plane on the island as such? Uh, or the sea. The sea, oh, the sea when you the said sea the sea around bed. the area. And apparently so he had the latest equipment in the world. And he yeah. said, if there's a plane here, I should have found it. Yeah. Because so that, he's obviously going from that photograph where there's like a wheel shown. Mm, all the things mm. of, you know. So, yeah. I guess in conclusion, what would you say? All theories are possible, or do we? Is yeah, but it depends. Like we're talking about your, I, lo I love your one about the time portal. I think you know why not? Why not? These things are possible. All these things are possible. Why are they not a, possible? Yeah, I once spoke to a scientist when I was in the states once. He was yeah. a, oh, he wasn't as well. He was a PhD student at the time. But he, mm. I was making all these silly things up once, and he once said. To, and he'd probably be a, a notable guy nowadays, a long time ago. And he said to me something like, well, all your theories are probably true, actually. He mm. said, it's just that we haven't discovered them yet. Yeah, said, exactly. Said, it's yeah. just that it says the impossible is, is possible. It's yeah. just, we're just not Especially, there yet. Absolutely, because it's within you. It's somewhere within you. You come up with that idea. Somebody else might be thinking about it. It could be some, it's amazing. It could be something there, couldn't it? There could be. But, but the, the point that she was abducted by aliens is a bit of a joke because of all the people in the world mm. on that particular day, why on why earth not? would they pick? Well, they could pick anybody. Yeah, pick, exactly. Yeah. They that's so that's kind of I, I don't far fetched. That is a bit far fetched, isn't it? Well, yeah. now we would say that's far fetched, but yeah, you know, at some point the aliens will come. And they're going to have to meet someone, I guess. But, uh, you know, yeah, when so that day that comes... thing about... Because um, some, some people believe that octopuses uh, are actually yeah. originate from another planet that came here. Could, they could very well be, yeah. yeah because they're so alien to us, the yeah. way that they're built. Yeah. You know, but... Well, um, that's na nature and the, you know, the way everything's evolved. It's strange, isn't it? How some things get through yeah. in a really weird way. But yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's one of these stories that keeps giving. Do you think that Noonan and her worked efficiently together? Do you think that? Do you think it was just a a catalogue of just? Well, one. I think that Paul Mance. Yeah. Like, did he not sort of say like it's something like poorly planned and badly executed? And that yeah, was I heard something left, like that. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame because I think well, as we've always said. You know, there's a bit of a gung-ho-ness, isn't there? They're so sure of themselves that nothing's going to go wrong. Well, you know, like in the Afghanistan wars, and things, right. here are these uh, infantry patrols that went out and they take um, a yeah. forward air controller guy or a gunship guy who's going to call in the big guns if they need it. So they, can mm. own, so they only need to take eight people out on the patrol. Mm. But if his antenna doesn't work and his communication goes down, then yeah. they're just eight people sitting out in the middle of nowhere. They've yeah. got a problem on their hands. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you exactly, know, yeah. So but these... it's just a case of if the antenna doesn't work, should you fly, immediately fly back and say, well, we, we can't, we can't do communicate. This. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, that's, that's, it's, 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 it's a silly thing to do to carry on. Definitely, yeah. But then she's done so many, so many trips before, and like successful. her transatlantic, and they've been successful. So why would you think this wasn't going to work? You, you're she had sure. flown a record from Honolulu to Oakland, California. So oh, she had previously. done that other side of the ocean. Yeah. So she's done that herself. So you think, yeah. well, she must yeah. think, well, what's what's yeah. to go wrong? I'm yeah. with the best navigator. I, it's awful to say it because I think they're absolutely brilliant, brilliant pioneers. Does look like uh, they were complacent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would sort of go with that in in our logical, rational world that we now live in. I think it, you know, these theories are all kind of make sense and that's obviously what we do you know but it's difficult to sort of say well yeah something is def is definite without any evidence isn't it i mean at the end of the day there's no and those figures that i did on the talk they're mm. just what we know mm. we don't actually know mm. whether there was some more fuel but the thing is also because some of it is like you say you don't know exactly what engines they have yeah. and you when they have a problem know. with the pitch propellers that's the they, mm. they pitch the propellers for best performance. Yeah. Now, according to some experts, they could burn a lot less fuel off, and they could they yeah. could do things a lot better. Um, yeah. We're looking yeah. at the worst scenario of how much fuel burn they might have been mm. doing a lot better than we think. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like we said, we've sort of said for sometimes the simplest solution or simplest yeah. idea I think is probably well, I forgot to mention on the last when she was coming in. She was down at a thousand feet under the cloud base. Yeah. To look. But she so, would have got um, what I think is really weird about that. It's quite low flying, but what you might have got, which I think is quite interesting, not that I've experienced this, but when you're flying, the shadows of the clouds on, on the, the sea. Yeah, I think she'd probably really... be okay at that, but he says there's no white caps at surface. But the one thing I got was that, yeah. uh, you know, Howard Hughes, the great industrial the flyer. Yeah. He flew around the world, did it on a different way. He took four people with him, typical Howard Hughes. He got, he took a flight yeah. engineer, a co-pilot, and a navigator. Yes, yeah, so he just sat back. Kind of, and just... A, but basically, he his plane that he used a, a year later. Yeah. Um, he didn't do the same route. He no. did a, a different, better, better route. But he used is it, like a flying boat. So the wings on top. Mm. If the wings on top with the engines, he can see all the way around well they've got a low wing plane so when they look out oh, the cockpit the yeah, wings are in the way yeah exactly that's that's the famous that's the design is it the Cessna type design where they wing on the top the wings so on the top so you've got better visibility so if yeah, you I've heard that fly, yeah yeah so i just thought maybe that had something to do with it yeah the visibility well, yeah it's unbelievable could, could noonan get to see the stars because he needs more than one to take a fix yeah yeah you know it's, it's uh, but you know, as we sort of say, this is really the early days of flying, wasn't it? Yeah. They were learning as they were going along almost, wasn't and it? They, and whatever amazing. we say today about them, RJ, let's face it, they were the astronauts of the day. They were paving the way for all of us for the future. Yeah. And Absolutely, they, they're yeah. heroes, you know, they're heroes. Yeah. And, and they've unbelievable amounts of courage. But as you pointed out a few times, there wasn't really a contingency plan. No. If it goes pear-shaped. No. No, they didn't really sort of think of backup. They must have made these decisions. It's interesting how why, how and why they make particular decisions. Okay, yeah. well, I think we've uh, we've exhausted that, RJ. 
Yeah, no, it's yeah, fascinating. It's I think it's brilliant. So yeah. I should say to the listener that any of those uh, possibilities are still possible. Yeah, absolutely. And they yeah. could solve it. They they could solve it. Yeah. I'm, I I think that un, until somebody comes up with concrete evidence, I'm going for the time portal. But I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. I'll probably back you on that. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> it is. It's an open it's file. It's an incredible still. mystery. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's been fantastic, Harper. Yeah, really enjoyable. Okay, we'll see you next time. Okay then. Cheers then, Harper. Bye.